Good morning, Papa. How you guys doing this morning? That was like the worst Pompano welcome of all time. Like, I understand there's a lot of people missing today, but that that was, come on, you 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 just got to have more self-pride than that. I mean, come on, somebody help me out. How y'all doing this morning? All right, all right, that's, that's so, so much better. That's a little bit better. We'll let it slide this week. You guys practice this week, so next week when it come back up, like, I want to I wanna hear it loud and clear. Like, I want some, some passion there. But, uh, hey, anyways, my name is TJ. We're glad that you're here with us. We're in the series called Freeway. Uh, this is actually the sixth week of this series, and it's been an incredible, incredible time as we've journeyed together, not only on the weekends, but during the weeks in our connect groups. I, I know there's a ton of us that have been going through our connect groups, and God has just done some really, really great things of connecting people together, helping people deal with some different things that are happening in life. And so uh, today we're going to be diving into John chapter 4. If you want to turn your Bible to John chapter 4, it's where we'll be hanging out. For, for those of you that don't have a Bible with you, you can look in your worship guide or you can look up on the screen. All the scriptures will be there, but we'd love for you to follow along. And if you're brand new today or you've been in and out in this series, what I want to do today just to start off is I want to do a little bit of a review over the last five weeks just to kind of catch you up so it doesn't feel like you're walking midway into a movie and like what the heck is going on. So um, they're going to put up some some of the steps that we've had over the last couple of weeks. We started week one with awareness and we said awareness is a really, really critical thing in life because the reality for most of us is, is while we think we are very aware of what's going on, we are not actually very aware of the things that are happening in our lives. In fact, we've been saying all along that the truth about all of us is, is that we don't really know the truth about us. As much as we think we know the truth about us, we're blind to some things. There are some blind spots in our life, and it's important for us to slow down. We talked about the fact that our awareness in life will increase as the hurry in our life decreases, and hurry isn't a, an exterior thing. We think that if we can just control our schedules, then hurry would decrease. But hurry isn't an exterior thing. We can't solve it with our calendar. We've got to solve it in our heart. We've talked about the fact that hurry is an interior thing that's happening inside of us. It's when we get so busy and so overwhelmed that we can't hear God in the midst of everything that's going on. And so we said, man, we've got to decrease that. We've got to find ways to slow down what's happening inside so we can really start to see some of these areas. And we said that as the hurry decreases, what we're going to do is we're going to move into this next step of discovery. We're going to start to find some of the hurts and some of the pain and some of the shame that's been in our life. And as we're unpacking some of those things in our lives, we're going to discover um, some things that have, have been holding us back from experiencing everything that God wants for our life. And when we're in that discovery phase, it's going to cause us to make a couple of choices. It's going to, we can choose to continue going through life like we have in the past, and we can try to suppress all that information. We can suppress all of those feelings. We can go and we can play the blame game, and we can blame it on somebody else. That's one opportunity that we have. We can just blame other people for our circumstances. We can blame other people and other things for our problems. We can blame God for what's happening in our life. Or we can continue on to the third step, which is ownership, where we say, well, those, some of the things that have happened in our lives, and a lot of the things that have happened in our lives, aren't necessarily our fault, because the abuse that you suffered is not your fault. The harsh words that were said to you were not your fault. 
but your life is your responsibility. And because it is your responsibility, you have to take ownership of your life and you can't push off the responsibility of your life on somebody else. It's not their problem. It's not their fault. It's your responsibility. And as we start to take responsibility and we start owning those things, then all of a sudden we have the opportunity to deal with them. And that's really the heart of this. And we moved on to the fourth week where we started dealing with acceptance of saying like, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own some of these things. Actually, it's forgiveness and acceptance. They have it a little bit wrong up there. Uh, and so we, we got to go to forgiveness where we say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put down the rock. And we, we had you all, we gave you all rocks that week. We talked about the fact that a lot of us were carrying around uh, unforgiveness. And what we want to do is we want to throw it at other people and get even. We want them to experience the same things. We, we harbor resentment. We harbor bitterness towards them. And we need to let put that rock down. And then for others of us, we've been carrying a rock of for ourselves because we can't let go and forgive ourselves. And it's a burden that we can't carry any longer. And we said the pathway to freedom always goes through the door of forgiveness. And so we, got, we said that forgiveness is an important element. And finally, we talked about acceptance last week. Talked about the fact that the world and people are always trying to put labels on us based on our skills and our experiences and what we've done. And so they label us different things. And it's really easy to identify with the world's labels. But there's only one thing that we need to identify with, and that's the love of Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus is the only identifiable thing that we need to grab hold of. And the fact that God says that we are somebody and that we are loved and that we are valued and that we are his. And I want to encourage you, if you missed any of those weeks, um, go back and, and, and listen to those weeks, weeks. Watch online because I believe that God is doing something really, really powerful through us in this series. And today we're going to talk about this whole idea of freedom and how do we really experience and live out and maximize freedom in our life. And here's a temptation for me, and I'm going to guess it's probably the temptation for you is when I look at these things, when I look at awareness and when I look at, look at discovery and ownership and acceptance and forgiveness and freedom, when I look at all of those things, when I start seeing all those things, it's really easy for me to just want to make like this checklist like, oh, I'm aware, check. Oh, I've, I've looked at some things in my life. I've discovered some things, check. And we want to make this just like a spiritual checklist because we want to go through and we just want to solve the problem. Because we're naturally problem solvers, so we think if we do it, step one, two, three, four, five, six, I've accomplished, I've won, game over. And the thing that we fail to realize is that this isn't a checklist for us to live out. This is a process that we're going to be in for the rest of our lives. It's a process, and there's a big difference between a checklist that gets you into accomplishment and a process that you're in. Because in a process, you might go through this, and you might realize that, man, there's still some unforgiveness in your life. And so you're going to have to go back into the process, into the stage of unforgiveness, and go, man, I'm going to have to give away some forgiveness again. Or I'm going to have to receive some forgiveness here. Or I'm going to have to go back and take some ownership in my life because I'm not taking ownership in this area. And so this constant process that we have to go through, and it's not just this one and done, like I'm done with this, God, I'm moving on to the next thing. This is going to be a continual cycle in our lives. And this is what I know. A lot of us are experiencing freedom in our lives in a lot of areas, not necessarily in every area, but we're moving towards that because we're in the process 
And this is what I know about freedom. Freedom for your life and freedom for my life is always maximized when we share it with other people. Our freedom is always at the maximum level when we can take what God is doing inside of us and give hope to someone else's story. Because God wants to leverage your story and your past and your pain and your hurt to impact somebody else that's in pain, that's in some shame, that's in some hurt right now and give them hope in life. And if you've learned nothing from this series, the overarching theme throughout this entire series, throughout this entire freeway process, is is that you have been rescued so that you can be a rescuer. Christ rescued you not so that you can just spend eternity with him while he wants that. Don't get me wrong. He wants to spend eternity with you, and that is a good thing. But he didn't just rescue you so you can sit on your laurels and just hang out and just bask in his glory. He rescued you so you can take your life and your story and your, your, your entire experience and impact other people's lives. And he says it doesn't matter what your economic level is. It doesn't matter what your uh, age demographic is. It doesn't matter what your education is. God can maximize and leverage all of our stories to impact other people. And he's rescued us so that we can be a rescuer. That is God's ultimate plan for you. Some of you are like, God, what is your plan for my life? He, his plan for your life, every single person in here, is he wants you to be a rescuer. He wants you to rescue other people. And I realize that there's some pushback from some of you guys because you're like, man, I, I'm not there yet. I haven't experienced freedom in all these areas of my life. I'm still struggling with unforgiveness. I haven't gotten past that stage. Like, I'm still struggling with my marriage. I'm still struggling in in achieving success. And what does that really look like in my life? I'm still struggling in my finance. I'm still struggling in a lot of areas, TJ. How can God use me? And this is what I know is that God wants to use you. And he wants to take what freedom you have experienced. Maybe you're not all the way there yet, but he'll take whatever portion you have and he'll use that and leverage it. And so I put this question on your outline for you. It's just a thought. What if God wants to leverage your past to help others find freedom? Just think about that for a moment. What if God wants to leverage your story to help someone else in their story. And I was, I was thinking about this because a little over 10 years ago, I, man, I had one of the most devastating times of my life happen. I, I happened to be working at a, at a pretty large church. I was, I was speaking a lot, and I had a Sunday where uh, I completely bombed. Like, if there was a time, like a message you never want to hear, it's the message that I preached that Sunday. And it, it not only was it bad, but it was long. So it had like the double negative. It was like, you can get away with bad if it's like short, but when it's bad and it's long, like it's the double negative, it's, you're done. And my pastor literally came to me and said, TJ, I don't think you're ever going to talk again. Like, that's how bad that was. And I was like, really? Because I've, I've preached like four months in a row. And he's like, yeah, that, that message was that terrible. And, uh, and I remember he literally said, I'm putting you on the bench and I don't know if you'll ever get up. And when you have hopes and you have dreams and you have visions for your future that deal with partly that element, what I do in life is I communicate for a living, so to say. And to have that utterly destroyed in one instance 
changes everything. Maybe some of you guys, maybe it's not speaking for you. You've, you've had some things happen in your life and you feel like it's utterly destroyed all hope, all life, all potential. Your entire future has got to radically be shifted because of what's happened. And it's in the middle of that season that I was in that I came across a quote from a, a guy named Brendan Manning. He's, he's now dead, but he says this. He says, in a futile attempt to erase our past, we deprive the community of our healing gift. If we conceal our wounds out of fear and shame, our inner darkness can neither be illuminated nor become a light for others. But when we live as forgiven men and women, we join the wounded healers and draw close to Jesus. That is some good stuff right there. And there's this beauty in being wounded. There's this beauty in brokenness. There's something amazing when God can take the darkest moment of your life and cause it to become an illuminating light for the entire world to see. And I know what all of our desires and all of our compulsions naturally are. We, we want to put on the persona that we live the perfect life. I know I do. I know you do. Whether you want to admit it or not, we always feel like we have to present this more perfect picture of ourselves and what is really and truly there. And what we do when we're presenting ourselves as this perfect picture in life is we rob people of the opportunity to see the healing power of Jesus at work in our life. We're robbing them of the opportunity to get a glimpse of Jesus because this is what I've learned about God. Is that God doesn't use perfect people. God uses authentic people. God doesn't use perfect people. He longs for you and I to be transparent people. He's waiting for us to, to be transparent and to be authentic. So when the world looks at our life, they can look through our life and see the work of Jesus inside of our life. And so God isn't going and he isn't recruiting the wounded healers from the pedestal. He's looking for people that are in the pit. He's looking for the people that, that you feel like, man, I've, I've failed God. I've messed up. I've had some major ups and downs in my life. I don't know that there is much hope in my life. If you ever feel like you failed or you've disqualified yourself, you are uniquely qualified to be a wounded healer for God. You're uniquely qualified to take the freedom that comes solely from Jesus Christ and becomes evident in your life and to take and bring that hope and bring that life to other people who are dying inside right now. It's one of the reasons why I love this story in John chapter 4. It's an incredible, incredible story of, of a woman who probably never imagined that God would use her for some eternal purposes. And let me kind of just give you some background of what's happening in John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are, are, are baptizing. In fact, his disciples are baptizing tons of people. In fact, they're baptizing more than John the Baptist, which is pretty incredible when you're baptizing more than who that's named for. And so they're doing like a really, really good job. And Jesus had the, this unique ability 
to do something that I love. He had this unique ability to tick off religious people. And so, like, he's at this point where he's ticking off religious people. And so that's just really endearing to me because I like to tick off religious people too. Uh, and so Jesus is kind of ticking off the religious people. And so they're baptizing all these different people. And so they're, they're in uh, Judea. And so he goes, man, we've got to go to Galilee. And so you've got to understand that going to Galilee was about a 70-mile journey. And so they weren't, like, riding in a car. They were walking. 70 miles is a long ways. And so it would actually take them over two and a half days to journey from Judea to Galilee. Now, the ironic thing is that the closest way to get to Galilee was to cut through Samaria. But because Jewish people hated Samaritans, uh, they would never do that. In fact, they would cross over the Jordan River two, maybe three times to avoid going through Samaria and, and increase the length of their trip an extra day just to avoid these people. And the reason they hated the Samaritan people so much is because the Samaritan people were a, a constant reminder of the worst years of their life. They were the years that they were in captivity. And what happened during those times is, is that the Gentile nations that took over the Jewish people uh, and the Israelite people, they, they wanted to exterminate the Israelites. And because they couldn't do that, they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to breed them out. And so they started marrying the Jewish people and started having these kids that were not completely Jewish. And to a Jewish person, this was breaking all of God's laws. And so they, they, they had this, the Jewish people hated them because they were a constant reminder of their past and their captivity and the fact that people wanted them dead. And so they thought that the Samaritans had no right to have a relationship with God. They had no right to God's blessings. They had no right to God's promises. And so there was this disgust between these two nations. And because of the hatred the Jewish people had towards Samaritans, Samaritans naturally reciprocated that back to the Jewish people. And so this story, Jesus is going to say, hey, like we need to cut through there to go this way. And for a Jewish rabbi to go through Samaria was like a no-no. A Jewish rabbi would never talk to a Samaritan or even go in that area. And so we pick up in John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well sat there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, there's a couple things in here that John really wants you to know and wants you to understand uh, about this process. Is, you know, a Jewish person would never have interaction with a Samaritan person. Like, it was unheard of for a Jewish person to even talk to a Samaritan, let alone a rabbi address a Samaritan woman of all things. Like, a man talking to a woman, like, that just didn't happen in their time. But... What's interesting is it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Another translation says Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And this isn't a statement of direction. This is actually a statement of conviction. Because what Jesus is showing us right there is that divine appointments are often a matter of choice, not chance. 
It's not supposed to be change. It's supposed to be chance there. Just FYI. They're not a matter of choice. They're, not, they're a matter of choice, not chance. Because what's happening right there is Jesus had this burden on his heart for a specific people. And he was going to have an encounter with a Samaritan woman. Like he knew that. And he knew that it wasn't going to happen by a chance. It was going to happen by a choice that he was going to make. And he said, he said, man, I'm going to make a choice to go through Samaria. I'm not just going to wait and hope that this happens. And I know that so many times in my life, I'm hoping that a divine encounter happens by chance. Like, that's my prayer most of the time. God, would you just kind of set up a divine encounter for me? Like, when I go to Starbucks today and, and I'm waiting in line, would you just happen to have somebody just walk up and start crying behind me in line and start revealing their deepest, darkest secrets right there and then give me an in at some point to tell them about Jesus? Or put me on an airplane and sit somebody down next to me and have them be that talkative person that just shares their life and give me opportunities. And we think so many times that divine appointments happen by chance, but most of the time they happen by choice. It's by making intentional choices to surround ourselves with people who need the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and need to hear the revelation of your story interacting with their story so they can get the hope of the world inside them like you have the hope of the world inside of you. It's about leveraging your past and your story to interact with their story so God can intercept them in that moment and transform them with his power. And so I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe for some of you, it looks like instead of going and grabbing your lunch at work and going back to your desk and eating by yourself, maybe you go to the lunchroom and you sit down and you interact with other people that are eating their lunch. Maybe it'll happen. There'll be a chance for that to happen there because you made a choice to go there and interact with some people. Maybe for others of us, it's when we go home, instead of pulling into our garage and shutting the door before we get out of our car so we never interact with our neighbors, maybe we park out outside we get out we meet the guy that we've lived next door to for 15 years and never talked to hello south ford and we make a choice to have some interaction maybe for others of us it's we send a text message to a friend or we make a phone call to a friend and say hey i haven't seen you in a while we'd love to hang out why don't you come to church with me next weekend and we'll go grab some lunch afterwards Instead of going, man, I hope I run into Bob sometime. You've got to make yourself available for those divine appointments to happen. And they aren't a matter of chance. They're a matter of choice when we have to partner with God and make it a matter of choice. The second thing that, that John really wants you to know from this story is, is in verse 6 when he says, the time of day that this woman and Jesus were at the well. Because typically in the that cultural time period, women were the ones that would go to the well to feed the cattle and livestock. And they would typically go to the well very early in the morning around like 7 or 8 a.m. And then at dusk in the evening when it was getting ready to have the sun set because it was a cooler period of time. It was easier to work. To go to the well at noon was one of the most obscure times of the day because it was the hottest part of the day. This woman knew that there would be no one at the well at this time. So she goes at the most inconvenient time, and I believe that she does this on purpose. She goes at this time because 
She has a reputation. She's got some baggage in her life. She's made some mistakes, and she specifically goes there at noon to avoid the crowds of people because she knows when she's in a crowd, she's always the one that they're whispering about behind her back. She's always the one that they're laughing at behind her back. She's always the one that is getting all the dirty looks because of her past, and she's used to people staring at her when she walks in a room. She's used to people judging her when she walks to a place, and she, so she's used to seeing all that, and so she pulls away to the most obscure time because she's taking the path of least resistance in her life like many of us do. We want to go to the path that doesn't cause any pain, that doesn't cause any confrontation, that doesn't cause us to deal with the things that are happening in our life. And she comes to this this well at noon expecting no one there, but there's Jesus And I'm going to guess that some of his followers, not his disciples, people that were just listening to his teachings, were there with him. And he starts to engage in conversation with this woman. And no rabbi in his right mind during this time would have ever done that. But Jesus does. I think it's an intentional conversation. Jesus intentionally addresses her. And what he's doing is he's crossing all gender barriers right there. He's crossing all racial barriers right there. He's crossing all the barriers that are out there. And in essence, he's making a declaration that nobody is beyond God's scope of love. This is what he says in verse, and this is what it says in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so she knows the rules of life and how this works. And so she's reminding Jesus like, Hey, you're not supposed to talk to me. I know what's up. And Jesus kind of flips the script on her and he goes, listen, if you knew really what this was all about, if you really knew what the rules were, then you would know that you weren't, I'm not supposed to ask you for water. You're supposed to ask me for some water. You're supposed to ask me for something that could change your life. And he takes the conversation from a physical aspect of this is just a conversation to like, man, this is a, this is a talk about your heart. What's going on inside of you? And that's the thing that I want to address. He says, man, I want to address the thirst that's happening deep within your soul, and I want to talk to you about it. It says in verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I'm like, dang, Jesus. Probably not the best way to start off a conversation. Like, listen, I know you're a hoochie mama. Drop the mic. Like, that's basically what Jesus said to her. Like, I, I know about you. Like, I've heard, you know, I mean, and, and I, honestly, I always think about this. Like, man, if I was this woman, I would have been like, uh-uh-uh-uh, Jesus. We're going to, like, cat fight right here. Punch you in the face. Call me out in front of everybody. 
I mean, this is gutsy what Jesus does. I mean, just, just calls her out, tells her the truth about her. Because the truth about all of us is we don't know the truth about us. It's also a reminder for all of us that there are people that are in our lives that are trying to fill a spiritual thirst with earthly water. They're trying to fill the voids in their life with success. They're trying to fill the voids in their life with achievement. They're trying to fill the voids in their life with a relationship. They're, they're thinking, if I could just date that person, then everything inside of me would be made right. If I could just get that raise, everything inside of me would be made right. If I could just have that job, everything would be right inside of me. And they're trying to fill something in their life that can only be filled with a spiritual thing, but yet they're doing it with a physical thing. And what happens for a lot of us is we look to things to provide what only God can provide in our life. And you know people all around you that are doing that. Shoot, you might even be doing that in your life. Trying to fill your life with all kinds of different things to fill a spiritual void that only God can fulfill. And some of you have realized that in this freeway series. You've chased your career. You've chased success. You've chased women. You've chased men. You've chased achievement. And along the way, somewhere you realize that the only freedom you're going to find is never going to be in those things. It's only going to be found in God. And now that you're discovering that freedom, who do you know that you need to share that freedom with? Who do you know that you need to share this living water with that isn't going to address the physical thing? It's going to address the spiritual need that's deep down within every single person. It's not that the physical things are bad. None of those things that in the right context are bad. But when we try to fill something that can only be filled with God with those things, it's always going to end up with us longing and wanting for more. And this woman, she's gone through five marriages, and she's thinking the sixth one's going to fulfill it. And I love how she responds. Because Jesus calls her out, and she doesn't feel exposed. She actually feels free. Because this is what I know, is that when anytime sin is hiding, it makes us feel dirty. But when it's exposed to light, it always causes freedom to happen in our life. And she realizes this person that she thought was the prophet, maybe the Messiah, knows her fully, knows all of her junk. And he doesn't condemn her at all. Verse 25, it says, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward them. This woman who went to the well at 12 o'clock because she wanted to avoid the crowds all of a sudden is running to the crowd to tell everyone about Jesus and this living water. 
And it just goes to show that God can use your biggest failure to be the launching pad of the greatest calling he has on your life. He can use the biggest mess up of your life to be the, the thing that propels you into the calling that he has for your life. I know that, that that's very, very true for me. Because it was in that season that, that I was put on the bench, so to say, that Shayla and I decided, like, oh, it's time. Let's start having kids. Let's, let's start moving down that path. And let me just tell you something. Like, like, practicing for kids is amazing. It's one of my favorite activities out in the world. Like, I just want to practice for kids for the rest of my life. And so, like, I really enjoyed the practicing part. Like, that, like, let's do this for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And, uh, but after about a year, every time that time of the month would come and there would be no kid, it would devastate my wife. And I'll never forget the pain of those moments. Because this is what I know about every girl. Every girl dreams of two days. The day she gets married... And the day she has kids. I don't know why that is. But as little kids, that's where they, they love dolls and baby dolls. They love weddings. So we kept trying and trying and trying. And I'm dealing with all this failure on this side. And then we end up, because nothing's happening, we end up going to doctors and going through tons of tests and all these different things. And it finally comes to the conclusion that we can't have kids. And so not only am I failing in my career, but now I'm failing at a husband because Shayla can have kids, TJ can't. And I remember it's in this season, I, I just devastated. Just going through so much pain. I don't even know how to deal with it. I, it's like, what do you do with all of this stuff? And I remember my pastor came to me and said, hey, I need you to speak one weekend. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't even know what I would say. Like, I feel like in my life, my back is against the wall. In every aspect, and I went out and I spoke for the first time and God started using our story to impact other people's story, to give them hope in the middle of a hopeless situation. Our biggest failure started being this rallying cry for all these families that were going through the same struggle that we were. They just didn't have a voice anywhere. So it made me realize that God does want to use your biggest failure to impact other people. And I don't know what your your struggle has been. Maybe your struggle has been some sort of addiction. And, and while I know that an addict will always be an addict, that doesn't mean that he can't use the freedom that you're finding and the programs that you're using to help impact somebody else's life. Maybe you've gone through some abuse and you've experienced that pain. Listen, my wife tells me all the time, like, I don't want our story to be in vain. 
which means that like, I don't want to go through all this junk just to go through it. I want this to be used for somebody else. God wants to leverage your story. And this is what I knew for every single one of us is God will use the parts of your story that you're willing to give to him. See, we just said, God, man, we're going to give you the, this part of our life. And God, we want you to do something with it. We're going we're gonna to lay it down at your feet, and we're going to allow you to use it. And all of a sudden, he took the pain of our life started using it to impact other people. And see, God's not looking for perfection. We think that all the time, and God's looking. He's saying, like, where's the messy, broken person? That's the person that wants to be used. And if they'll give me their story, I'll do something great with it. And this is what I learned. The most powerful words that you have to give to somebody else are these two words. And you can write them down. Me too. Man, you're dealing with that? Me too. I've done that too. Man, I've, here's what God did in my life. Oh, you're struggling with a pornography addiction? Me too. Like, I, I struggle with that too. Oh, you're struggling in your marriage? Me too. You're struggling with being single? Me too. Me too allows people to know that they're not crazy and they're not insane, that they're on the right path and that God can use their story too. Because the goal of our Christian life is not perfection. It is authenticity. And God doesn't use perfect people. He uses broken people who allow him to shine through their brokenness. What I love about this lady in the story is she didn't wait for her life to be perfect. She didn't go home and get everything right. She didn't even ask Jesus for forgiveness of what everything that she's done right there. What did she do? She turned around and she said, man, this guy gives me hope. I'm going to run and I'm going to tell everybody else about hope. She didn't get her life all perfect and all prim and all proper. She didn't get all of her ducks in a row, if you can even do that. She didn't do any of that. She just realized that she had been rescued and it's time to rescue other people. And this is what it said in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more believers, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. How amazing is that? That God wants to take the imperfections of your story and he wants to use that to lead other people to experience a relationship with Jesus, to be a wounded healer for others. And I put this in your notes. I put this prayer in your program today because I just thought it was a prayer that all of us, if we had the courage to pray, would probably be a really good prayer because we all know somebody that needs our story. We all know somebody that needs our hope. And so the prayer is this, is, Dear God, thank you for the gift of freedom found in Jesus. I give you my entire story to use to help blank. Help me be a wounded healer for you. And that's my prayer for us today, is that we would be wounded healers for Jesus. Let's pray. God, my prayer really is, is that we would recognize that 
our story connects with your story and together we can make history in somebody else's life. We can transform someone's life. God, I pray that the pain that we've experienced in life would not be in vain. God, that we would take our story and we would leverage our story with your hope to help someone else. God, I thank you that you don't use perfect people, you use authentic people. God, that you don't use people that put on the persona of having it all together. You use people that are willing to be broken so that your light can shine completely through us. God, I pray that today you would take each and every one of our stories and you would use it and you would use us to be wounded healers to people all throughout our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.